And as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles uh, to the book of Colossians, it's actually a small letter. It's in the back of your Bible, uh, written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a church in modern-day Turkey called Colossae. And we are making our way through this incredible letter. We actually, today, is part 10 uh, of this sermon series through that little book of Colossians. And the whole thing is overarching. It's called Gospel Truth. And what Paul is, is really uh, telling to the church, by the way, a church that he did not plant or visit yet, uh, he's telling them, hey, you've embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and, and, and this is this gospel truth. Make sure that you're living your life out of that reality of who God is, of what God has done for us through Christ Jesus, this gospel truth. As a matter of fact, this morning, we're picking up where we were last week. Uh, it's part two uh, of a sermon called uh, Gospel Living. How do we live our life as Christians? What, what do we need to put on? Uh, kind of like that kid's King's Kids uh, little message right there. How, what do we need to wear? Well, I don't know about you, but I grew up with a dad who's professional, and I was always told, you want to dress for success. I mean, that was the adage I heard a lot. I grew up hearing that. Um, the reality is, and I tell you, my first job out of college, if you can believe this, out of your pastor, was in Midtown Manhattan, working for a very large company. It was a phone company. Every day, business suit, wingtips. I mean, that's what it was to kind of dress for success. Uh, you wanted to always make sure you, you look like your boss, especially if you want to be promoted, uh, uh, kind of look like that. And I'm telling you, when you wear a business suit in New York City in the summertime and you go to Penn Station, you know a lot about a place called hell, because it is hot there, you know. Think, what in the world? Uh, so, but you want to dress for that success, uh, that reality, or at least dress appropriately. I mean, right? I mean, that's important for all of us to make sure we are dressing importantly, uh, uh, properly, I should say. And even some folks here, they said, hey, it's going to be my first time at King's Chapel. What do I wear? And what are they saying? I don't want to show up and look like no one else, right? I want to make sure that I kind of know the culture. I want to make sure that I can kind of look like those around us. Because is there anything worse than showing up at an event either overdressed or underdressed? How many of you would rather be overdressed? How many of you would rather be underdressed? Only a few of you. All right, that's kind of cool. I don't know what psychology is in there, but anyway. But... But let me tell you, my business attire really has changed over the years. Uh, after working in New York City, when Katie and I were expecting our first child, Jesse, we relocated back here where she grew up uh, in Central Florida. All four of our kids born in Winter Park Hospital, like their mama. Uh, I started working for a company called Paychex, uh, Payroll Processing. And it wasn't always a business suit. Uh, it wasn't wingtips, but it was still business, business uh, attire. And then God called me to the greatest calling in ministry, and he called me to be a youth pastor. Goodbye business suits, right? B hello Birkenstocks, right? I mean, hello Birkenstocks, hello shorts, and guess what's happening? My hair is growing out. And it was great! You know, kind of, because why? Because, you know, show up to a youth meeting in a suit and, and wingtips and try to relate to them. There's no way. And it was, it was awesome. I wanted to dress appropriately. Uh, I wanted to reflect what I was. But interestingly enough, the Bible is going to tell Christians that we are to kind of dress for success. Now stick with me, uh, that we are to dress appropriately. And it has nothing to do with the clothes we wear, but literally the language that Paul is telling us in the church of Colossae. You've got to put something on. It's like clothes. 
you got to clothe yourself in Christ. you got to clothe yourself as a Christian to reflect that reality, to put on, clothe yourself in Christ, to live for him. So this morning, we're going to look at God's word and how it tells us, as Christians, what does it look like for us to dress for success in God's eyes? Or at least, what does it look like for us, the church, to dress appropriately as his children? This is Gospel Living, part two. Let me quickly review with you. For those of you who missed last week, where were you? All right, it's still online. For last week, uh, we, we looked at this. For part one was this. If you've been raised with Christ, it's basically saying another way, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, something incredible is happening. If you, if you embraced him as your Lord and Savior, you have a union with him. You've been united with him. And scripture says, it's like we've been raised with him. As he was resurrected, so were we. We have this new life in Christ. So if that's who you are, last week we said, if that's you, then seek the things that are above. Our pursuits should reflect the reality if we're his. And set your minds on things above. Our perspective should be different than the world. I mean, we should have this Christian worldview. And therefore, he's going to say, therefore, put to death anything in you that's earthly. And he's going to list a couple examples. And then he throws this weird word in there, idolatry. Really important. He's basically saying this. If there's anything in your life that separates you from God, put it to death. Because life is going to come from him. Joy is going to come from him. So put those to death. And then he's going to say, hey, I want you to put away anything that separates you from one another. And it's mostly our words. Lying to one another, gossiping, slander. Put that stuff away. And then he's going to say, put on Christ and this new community. So that's a, a quick recap. But let me tell you where we're going to go this week. We're going to say this. He's going to say, and these all flow together. Listen to, listen to these things and listen to how they connect. Remember who you are in Christ. Or I could have written... Remember whose you are in Christ. So that you will clothe yourself in Christ. If you remember who you are, so you clothe yourself in Christ in order for you to be Christ-like and being filled with the Spirit. So we're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 12 through 17. Let me remind you, this is God's holy word. It's never going to lead us astray. And may we as a church... Hear God and submit to the authority of God. Church, hear the word of the Lord. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one is a complaint against another, does that ever happen in the church? Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we're so grateful that you have given to us your word. Your word that reminds us of whose we are and who we are. 
Your word that reminds us of how you want us to now act as your children. And God, it reminds us of your grace and your mercy and your blessings to us. So God, what I know to be true is that you and you alone are the ultimate teacher. You and you alone are God. These folks don't need to hear my opinion. We need to hear from you. So God, speak through a broken sinner like me. Oh God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? God, would you graciously give us minds to understand your word? And God, would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth? And God, would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of the name above every name? God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the G- uh, Jesus Christ, the gospel, use those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior, And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at this, and it's going to say, remember who you are. Or or more specifically, remember whose you are. But I don't think we can remember who we are until we first remember who Jesus is. Because there's going to be an amazing impact between who Jesus is and who we are, or who Jesus is and whose we are. So before we can know really who we are, we must know who he is. And the Apostle Paul I mean, he has written for us who Jesus is. And I I thought about this. I said, let's go back to chapter 1, and let's pick up what the Bible says of who Jesus is. And for some of you, this might be new. I mean, it's amazing what the Bible says about Jesus. So hear these words. He, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. It means he's over all of creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Wow. And through him to reconcile to himself, whether on heaven or on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Wow. You know what this is saying? I mean, this is saying to us, Jesus, this one who walked the earth a couple thousand years ago, saying Jesus is creator. And he's saying he is creator of all things, that all things were made, watch this, through him and for him. I mean, they were made to tell his story, to bring him glory that there's nothing that was made that wasn't made through him. The Gospel of John will tell us and remind us of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and this, this Word put on flesh and dwelt among us. And we look back to Genesis 1, we realize, wow, it's that Word of God that spoke all things into existence. Jesus is the creator of all things. He's so much more than that, that shepherd that oftentimes we see pictures of. It also says, according to God's Word, he's the sustainer of all things. And all things in him, all things hold together. And these nail-pierced hands, this, the cosmos, the stars, I mean, the worlds are holding together in this Christ Jesus. He's not only creator, he's not only sustainer. It says Jesus is reconciler of all things. It says, scripturally, through him, he's reconciled all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. Wow. He's the only one who could bridge the gap to a holy God. He's the only one who can make all things right and all things new. It's not about a political office that we vote for. It's not who's in the White House. 
I mean, those are important things. I mean, ultimately, we look to him, creator, sustainer. We look to him, to him alone, uh, reconciler. And then it says, it's incredible, the fullness of deity, all of God dwelled in him in bodily form. Huh. Whoa. Anybody blown away of what God's word says about Jesus? I mean, this shouldn't be something, oh, yeah, that's pretty amazing. This is unbelievable. He's saying this is God in flesh, fully man, fully God. It should blow us away. And I'm telling you, if you don't hear this list, you don't know Jesus. I mean, you might know something of him. But to realize Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus the Son of God, Son of Man, creator, sustainer, reconciler, savior, wow. So Christians, and, and, and according to the Bible, Christians by God's grace through faith, we have this connection with Jesus. A union, that, that, like his life is our life, his death was our death, his resurrection, our resurrection, that gives us new life and forgiveness and, and freedom. And Christians are connected to Jesus through God's grace through faith. Let me make sure that's important. I mean, this is important that you understand. You're not connected to God because of church membership, although it's important. You're not connected to God just because of a sacrament, although that's important. You're not connected to God just because you give something to God, although that's important. You're connected to God because he loves you, and by his grace and faith, we're connected to him. And then he sees us in Christ Jesus. So through that, remember who you are. Okay, so here's the, rea here's the reality. Remember who you are in Christ or whose you are. And here's some of the words he says to you. Hit pause. I guarantee you need to hear this. Hear this, church. You are God's chosen ones. You're God's chosen ones. Scripture is going to tell us the truth of God. He owns it all, right? I mean, Psalm 24, 1 will say this. Uh, it will say, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and all those who dwell therein. There's nothing that God ultimately doesn't own. But he says, I own it all. I'm sovereign over it all. But you, my people, you are my chosen ones. Of all the things I own, you're my delight. You are my treasured possession, chosen in Christ. He owns it all. But then he says this. He says, you are holy and beloved. And this word holy, it's, it's probably gotten beaten up over the years and, and maybe has a, a holier-than-thou connotation and Christians that are hypocritical and looking down on others. But what does Scripture mean when it calls us holy? I mean, as a matter of fact, that's how we're described oftentimes, as, as agios. We're holy. We're saints. Unbelievable. Well, there's two things that really kind of come out of that Greek word of holy. One means you're sacred or you're set apart. And the other one's going to mean that you are morally blameless. Huh. Those are two things. Let's look at Scripture telling. So Peter will say this. In 1 Peter 2.9, very similar language, Peter says this of who we are in Christ. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. A people of his possession, own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Now watch this. Of him who called you out of darkness, you're set apart, right? Uh, into his marvelous light. So followers of Christ are those that God calls out of darkness. This is really interesting. They're sacred and set apart. You know what the Greek word is for church? It's ekklesia. Out. Called out. That's who we are, church. We're of all the world God owns. We are the ones that he has called out. And what does he call us out of? Darkness, death, decay, into his marvelous light to know and love him. This is who we are, chosen, holy. But then he says more. He says, you're beloved. Christian, you are beloved in Christ. 
God's word is going to say he's loved you before time began. It's, it's pretty incredible. Known you before he created anything. And God the Father's pleasure flows to us from God the Son. I want you to hear that again. God the Father's pleasure flows to us through God the Son, powered by God the Spirit. There's a couple of stories in the gospel that really show us a picture of the relationship with the Father, Son, and even Holy Spirit. And one of the coolest ones is Jesus' baptism. And at Jesus' baptism, as he's being baptized, all of a sudden, the Father in heaven can no longer remain silent. And for all of you who are dads, and watch your son hit his first home run. For all of you who are dads, and watch your daughter just nail the, the uh, piano recital. For all of you who are moms, and see your child blossom, you know what it feels like to be a parent that's proud. And here you have God the Father looking at God the Son, being baptized, about to start his public ministry, and he can't stay silent anymore. And he cries out from heaven, he says, that is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. You want to know the love of the Father? You got to know the Son. And the love and the pleasing of the Father flows to us through the Son. So here's the great news. Does he love us because of what we do? No, we're knuckleheads. Does he love us because we're better than our neighbors? Some of us aren't. He loves us because he loves us, and he loves us through the work of his son. And watch this, church. It was perfect. On your worst day, he loves you. You are God's chosen ones. You are holy. You are beloved. I mean, we really should have a dance party after this. This is how he feels about us. This is unbelievable. But he's going to say, it's, it's more than that. We are God's new community. He's doing something new in Christ. Now, here's what he says in Scripture. I'm going to go back to last week. He says this. If you're a Christian, here there's not Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. all. I guarantee you, most of you heard blah, 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 blah. You know, what, what, that circumstance, slave for Scythia, what? He's basically saying this. If you're Christians, there's no distinctions. There's no ins and outs. There's no the, the, the A team and the B team, the JV and the varsity. Uh, you know, those who are really cool and those who are not. If you are in Christ, you are a new community. Let me ask you a question. What crowd did you hang out in junior high school? Okay, maybe for some of you it was middle school show-offs. You're so young. How many of you all remember junior high? All right, don't be afraid. We all remember that. Those were the good old days. But you, was there anything called a clique in junior high school? <laughs> were there the ins and the outs? You know, has there, now, that's junior high. Has there ever been cliques in churches? <laughs> those who are in, those who are out. And here's what he's saying. Church, it's not to be that way. We're to be one in Christ Jesus. It's not the ins and the outs. We're all to be one. We are one in Christ. Watch this. We are a new community. But watch this. This is amazing. We are a new community with really old roots. We're a new community with really old roots. Because why? We're new, God's new Israel. We're God's people. Now, Paul uses the language of the Old Testament to describe the church. It's really interesting how he does it. I want to read to you two passages. One's way back uh, in, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. This is in Deuteronomy. This is what God says to the Israelites. He says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Does it sound familiar? Didn't we just read that in Peter? The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Is that not us? 
out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. It's not because you're more numerous than the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of people. And I love this. Listen to this. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of, uh, uh, with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He says, he, he says this. I love you because I love you. Not because you're big, not because that. I just have set my heart on you. And I, and I, and I, and I did that with my people through all of time. Then the book of Exodus 19, 5, Moses will write, Now therefore, if we, you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenants, you will be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Interesting. These are the words that Paul is saying of you and me in the church in Colossae. He's basically saying that God has always had a treasured people. It's one people. It's every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we know that at the end of the story. But those that he calls to himself, those he calls out of darkness into his marvelous light, whether in the Old Testament or New Testament, those who long for the Messiah to come and those who know the Messiah has come, we are God's treasured possession. There's one story of God here, folks. It's absolutely amazing. There's one quality of God. A lot of people say God in the Old Testament is angry. God in the New Testament is gracious. There's one, there's one God. He's holy. He's gracious. He's just. He's merciful. He's God. It's even better than Mufasa. Mufasa. <laughs> Anybody? Uh, anyway, I'll keep going. So remember whose you are in Christ. Why? So that you clothe yourself in Christ. He says, put on. Put on compassionate hearts. And I'm going to tell you, he's going to get list of five things to put on. Why? Because this is what Jesus is, who Jesus is. Put on compassionate hearts. Let me read to you Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus is compassionate. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And guess what Jesus did? He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. If you know Jesus, he had compassion on you. You and me, at one time, knuckleheads, we were sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on us. And he drew us to himself. Not only that, uh, put on uh, kindness. Why? Because Jesus is kind. The uh, Titus 3, 4 reminds us, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, that's Jesus, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, not because we're good, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, put on kindness because Jesus has been kind to you. He doesn't treat us like the knucklehead sinners that we deserve. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Why? Because Jesus is humble. I mean, he's God in flesh, and yet he was humble. And it says this in Philippians uh, 2, verse 8, And being found in human form, this is Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. There was never a more humble servant than Jesus put on humility, because that's him. Put on meekness or, or gentleness. Why? Because Jesus is gentle and meek. Jesus will say in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you're going to find rest for your souls. Don't you love the fact that Jesus doesn't say, come to me and work hard? Come to me and get your life in order. Come to me and just quit it. Come to me and, 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 and just, it's about you. He's saying, are you weary? Are you tired? Come to me and find rest. I'm enough. I mean, I'm enough. I mean, I've forgiven you. I love you. Come to me. And we all long for that. Why in the world would we look anywhere else? 
So put on that gentleness. Put on patience. Why? Because Jesus is patient with us. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. I love the reality. Some people say, why is Jesus allowing, or why is the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, allowing the world to be where it is? I mean, I could think of some of you asking me that questions. Why doesn't he act a little bit more? Why doesn't he say, I I I'm done with this? It says Jesus is compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's patient. I want you to picture this. He doesn't lose one of his sheep, not one. And maybe your great-great-grandchild has got to come to know Jesus. He's going to wait. And he's going to wait till all the family's there. I mean, can't you understand that, Mom and Dad? Don't you want to wait until every kid's around the table? And there's nothing like it when you're there. So he's patient. And the crazy, messed up, well, he's just... But he's patient. He's been, has, he not, has Jesus been patient with you? He's been patient with me. Because, man, have I, have I blown it? I mean, so, I mean, seriously, you think that being a Christian since I was four, going to seminary, cramming three years into eight years, you think I'd have it down by now, right? But, man, has he been patient with me? So be patient. Paul will summarize this in the book of Romans. He'll say, if you're a Christian, then put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put it on. Make no provisions for the flesh to gratify those desires. All right? So remember who you are so you can clothe yourself with Christ in order to be Christ-like. Now he says to us, now, bearing with one another, carrying one another's burdens. You know, uh, hey, by the way, as a church, is it easy always to hang out together? Sometimes do we rub each other wrong? Sometimes do we want to say, ooh. Let me ask you a question. Is anybody here that you, when you see them, you turn and walk the other way? You wouldn't do that, would you? I remember I had a guy in church who drove me crazy. Not this church. I won't tell you about that one. I saw him coming. I wanted to turn around. Because he drove me nuts. And it wasn't because he was a sinner. It's because he was so weirdly like, Hey, man, you loving Jesus? Man, how you loving your wife? Shut up, bro. <laughs> I mean, I loved him. Uh, it's a sad story, and I don't have time for it. But um, bear with one another. Why? Because Jesus bears with you. He bears with you. Listen, he's never going to give up on you. He's not going to wake up one day because he thinks he's going to wake anyway. He's not going to see you and say, you know what? I had enough. I've tried. I'm done. I'm walking away. He bears with us. He never lets us go. Forgive each other. How? As Christ God has forgiven you. Now, how does Christ God forgive you? Is it conditional? Is it, okay, if you, if you clean yourself up, if you do this, that, and the other thing, I'm going to finally forgive you? Or does he say, come to me, and I'm just going to lavish love upon you? I mean, that's how we're to forgive one another. Is it records of wrong? No. Is it just like, oh, yeah, I'll try to, but, man. And again, I know it's hard to forgive one another, and some of the wounds aren't going to go away. And some of the things we can't forget. But how has Christ God forgiven us? He said, above all, put on love. Love one another. I mean, as God's people, we've got to love one another because he's loved us. And, and the whole thing is around unity. The whole thing is around oneness. He says, I want you to clothe yourself in Christ, because church, I want you to be one. That's what Jesus prayed for in his high priestly prayer, for unity, oneness. He wants us to be that. Put on love. And this isn't love the way the world will say love is love is love. I mean, this is selfless love. This is Christ-like love. Love one another. Why? so that we could be bound in perfect harmony. Let me hit pause and say, King's Chapel, I think you do a fairly good job with that. 
I think there's more room for all of us, but may we love one another. And then lastly, being filled with Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. What's ruling in your heart right now? What's ruling in your mind? I mean, what really controls that, that, the bottom line for you? I mean, is it fear? I mean, what really is ruling in your life? And as Christians, he says, listen, let the peace of Christ rule. Let, let, that, let that be the overarching control of your life. Paul will say it this way in Romans 5.1, for those of who are in Christ. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, here's what it's saying. If you're a Christian, you have been declared not guilty in holy God's eyes because of the work of Christ. You have been justified by faith. And now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what it's saying. A vertical relationship with our Creator and our God we can have peace with because of what Jesus has done. Remember, church, it's not what you do, what I do. It's what he's done. In Christ, we have peace with God. And, and that is just this amazing reality uh, for us, that we have peace with him. Um, not only do we have peace with him now, um, but he has set us free to that reality. It's so funny. I've actually lost a page of notes. Can you imagine? Never, never actually do that. So it's all these things. In Christ, we'll have peace and peace with one another. So it's a horizontal peace and here's what he's done he says in christ this is in ephesians chapter 2 he's knocked down the dividing wall between jew and gentile republican and democrat gator and seminal southerner and yankee anything that divides us he says that in christ it's been knocked down he said that there should be peace here vertically with god and there should be peace here horizontally why? Because he's making us one. He sees us at one. Now, now, we're not homogenous. We're not all the same. I love the fact that at the end of the story, it's every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. He made all kinds of color, all kinds of variety, all kinds of people, and they're all going to be there, all of them. And it's going to be beautiful. And they're not gonna, you're not going to lose your distinction of who you are because it brings him glory. But what really brings him glory, that love that binds us together, that we're all one. So let the peace of Christ rule. Let it rule with your relationship with God and let it rule with your relationship with one another. I mean, that, that is that reality. Uh, let the word of Christ dwell, dwell richly in you. I mean, that word of God that creates all things and renews all things. Are you in God's word? Is it dwelling in you? You see, it gives us the mind of Christ. If the word of Christ dwells in us, we have the mind of Christ to live for the glory of Christ. But church, if we don't know the mind of Christ because the word of Christ isn't dwelling richly in us, we miss it. May the word of Christ dwell richly in us. All uh, for the glory of God so that we can give thanks and do everything for him. It says in word and deed. No matter, no, word and deed, that includes everything. Do all things for his glory in his name. God's made you for himself. He's called you to self, and he's purchased you by the blood of Christ. He's filled you with the Spirit. He loves you. You're chosen. You're holy. You're beloved. You're his. He's never going to let you go. But he's going to say, now live your life. And here's the beautiful thing. You want to be you, fully you, be in love fully with Jesus. You're not going to lose anything. As you do all things, it's like, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done in heaven and earth as it is in heaven. 
God, may I do all things for you. How, how is it with you? I, I, how much do you do for the Lord? I mean, for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor, that's our motto. Is that something that we're really living out? I mean, that's why he has called us to himself. This is being dressed for success in God's eyes. This is what it looks like. This is to be Christian. This is to be dressed appropriately as a Christian, to put on Christ and to live for him. How is it with you this morning? In God's eyes, are you dressed for success? In God's eyes, are you dressed appropriately? Well, that will basically mean one question. Is Christ in your life, right? I mean, have you, have you put on the amazing robe of Christ's righteousness? You know the good news of the gospel? It says this. Come to me if you're burdened. Come just as you are, without one plea. Don't try to run to the store or Google or get on Amazon to find out how you can be acceptable to God. Everything you need to be to be dressed properly. Everything you need to be clothed, he's going to give to you at a high, high price at the death of his son. Everything you need to be cleansed came through the blood of Christ. Everything you need to be robed. Here's, here's what scripture says. That God took him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. He's saying, you want to be dressed properly? My blood will wash you clean. And I'm going to give you more than the righteousness of man. I'm going to give you the righteousness of Christ. And that's how I'm going to see you. And that's how I'm going to love you. And that expensive attire, I'll provide all by my grace and love. Come as you are and receive this. As we go to the table, we're going to go to the table, and this is, this is a family meal. This is a meal not for everybody. Jesus warns us not to do this in an unworthy manner. He basically says, Scripture's going to say, some people took this meal in an unworthy manner, and it didn't go well. They got sick and died. They're like, whoa, what in the world? And it's basically saying, if you're not dressed appropriately, don't come to the table. It has nothing to do with what you're wearing. If you're not his, if you haven't been cleansed in Christ's blood, if you haven't been robed in his righteousness, then you're not ready for the table. Instead of the table, take the sun and come and get life and life abundantly. But for those of you who are like me, a sinner saved by grace, a sinner that has no way to weave anything on my own that God will say anything other than that's a filthy rag. But I, my church, am robed in the righteousness of Christ. And because of that reality, we come and partake. And it's through this meal that he strengthened us and reminds us of the cost of that, that garment for us to wear and to live for him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We just thank you for how it reminds us of who Christ is. Wow. Your son, our savior, creator, sustainer, redeemer, reconciler. And oh, to wear our big brother's letterman jacket. To wear his righteousness. To be washed in his blood. Oh God. be chosen, to be beloved, to be, to be holy, only because of your love and grace to us in Christ Jesus, to be clothed, that we don't have to show up to the Father, not properly dressed, 
Jesus, for us to be robed in your righteousness, you had to give your life. And you've given us a meal that reminds us of that reality. So Holy Spirit, come and feed us. And God, if there's anyone here that's not dressed appropriately and they don't know Christ Jesus, may they realize that, that the incredible offer today, the free offer of grace and mercy, it's not about them cleaning themselves up. It's about God providing everything they need through Christ's blood and righteousness. By your grace through faith. May today be the day where they embrace Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. But for the rest of us, your sheep that have been found, that are so prone to wander, would you come and feed us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.